0: afternoon turn to john chapter 14 once again john chapter 14 will continue where we left off this morning and uh, we're going to look at verses 4 through 11 john chapter 14 and look at verse 4 it says and whether i go you know the way you know Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and what can we, uh, how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. doeth the works believe me and i am in the father and the father in me or else believe me for the wor- very work's sake verily verily i say unto you he that believeth on me the works that i do shall he do also and and greater works than these shall he do because i go unto my father and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that will i do that in the father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now we're looking at verses 4 through 11. And in that passage here, verse 6, of course, is one of the best known verses of Scripture. Uh, um, It's often quoted, often spoken of. But what does it mean that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? It's only in understanding this, I believe, that we know the way to the Father. Now, to be politically correct, or religiously correct in our day, we can never, you are never to insist upon there's only one way. Right? I mean, that's what the, the, everybody else says. You know, you know, no, there's not just one way. And if you're dogmatic about it, and say that, you know, there, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. If you're dogmatic about it, that's a quick way to get branded with all sorts of negative names. Now I say, let the brands be applied. We believe there is only one way to the Father, and it is through the work of Jesus Christ. Now that's, uh, there's not a Baptist way, there's not a Presbyterian way, there's not a Methodist way, or a Catholic way, or a Pentecostal way. There is the Jesus way, and that is the only way. Many insist that as long as you're sincere in what you believe, well, then you'll be okay. Well, you can be sincerely wrong. That's not what the Scripture teaches, that you just be sincere. The Word of God tells us that the narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It's a narrow in the sense that it's a singular way, it's God's way, it's God's way alone that we come to know Him and His saving life. So people are so caught up in their religious persuasions or their denominational affiliations that they lose sight of what the Scripture actually teaches. And our concern this afternoon is to focus wholly upon the truth of God, realizing that it is the only It is only what He has spoken that shows us the way to Himself and consequently the way of life. Now, unless we go the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can never know the Father. What is the way to the Father? That's what we're looking at. First of all, notice a solitary mediator. A solitary mediator. Jesus told His disciples, And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas objected to what Jesus had stated, and he said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? In other words, Thomas was stating in a question form, if we do not even know where you're going, then how can, in the world can we know the way to follow you? Well, Christ had already told the disciples that he was going where they could not immediately go, uh, they would be able to follow later. We'll, uh, we see that in ver- back in verse or chapter 13. But now he explains to them that he is going to the Father and that he alone is the way to the Father. Uh, Jesus Christ did not come to simply tell us the way, but to be the way to the Father. And as the way to the Father, he was, has taken on the role of mediator on behalf of men. It was Paul who wrote, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I don't know how there, you could make it any plainer. And yet there are people who argue blue in their face, No, no, we can go our way. And it very plainly says here and also in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is the divinely appointed mediator between God and man. Having taken upon Himself human nature, yet without sin, He perfectly fulfilled the law, suffered, died upon the cross for the salvation of sinners. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He ascended to the Father at whose right hand he ever liveth to make intercession for his people. He is the only mediator between God and man. So we find here a necessity of mediation. Why do we need a mediator? A mediator implies that there's something wrong. There's an there's an uh, estrangement, an impasse. Uh, some kind of separation at which two parties cannot come together. You know, we think in our day of mediators. We think of them in the political realm or the financial world who labor to bring two parties together to some kind of agreement. You know, most of these mediators are not really mediators. They're arbiters. And there is a difference between a mediator and an arbiter. An arbiter will work to judge the differences between the two parties and then kind of settle the dispute Jesus Christ is not an arbiter there's no common ground for settling the dispute between God and almighty God and sinful man you know an accord uh, could be could not be reached you know can well god you give a little and we'll give a little that's not the way this works. That's an impossibility. There is a gulf between God and man caused by Adam's fall in the garden, and when God created man, he gave him a perfect setting and nature totally undefiled by sin. And along with the fact that man was created wholly as perfect moral being, he also had a mind and a will by which he could make moral choices. And the severity of Adam's choice to breach the law of God in the garden caused the judgment of God to be passed upon all of Adam's posterity. Romans 5.12 Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15.22 for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So we want to follow the Christ to the Father. How can we do that if there is enmity between in our relationship with God? We must have a mediator that's going to open the way. And again, this is not an arbitrary, Someone that Says, you give, and you give a little here, and we'll meet in the middle. There is no meeting in the middle here. So, the necessity of mediation. Notice, secondly, the dimensions of mediation. When Jesus said to the disciples in response to Thomas' question about the way, he said, I am the way. He was stating in very succinct fashion the whole of his work of mediation. For us, how is Jesus the way? Well, obviously, it began with the incarnation. For him to mediate between God and man, Jesus could not be merely a man, for that would mean that he too was affected by Adam's fall. He too would have been a sinner at enmity with God, nor could he only be in nature God. For that means he would be separated from sinners, and he could not identify with sinners who have, uh, uh, who and certainly he could not stand before the Godhead on behalf of the same sinners whom he uh, who have infinitely offended him due to their sin. So, how can this need of a mediator be settled? <coughs> well, only by God Himself. God, who alone is perfect, sinless, and utterly holy, becoming a man, perfectly fulfilling all righteousness on the behalf of man. And so Jesus Christ has two natures, very distinct in every way, yet never confusing the two, the nature of God and the nature of man in one person. And so in this way, it came about that the two whole, perfect, distinct natures, the divine and the human, were inseparably joined together in one person without the without conversion of the one nature into the other and without a mixing without confusion and so the son of man is now both truly god and truly man yet he's one christ and only the only mediator between god and man i am the way jesus states with absolute singular authority By Christ being the way, that implies there is no other way to God. The moment we try to bypass Jesus Christ to get to God, then we've attempted to mediate our own course to heaven. And those who try this, Jesus said in John 10, verse 1, are thieves and robbers. Now, there are numerous dimensions to this truth of Jesus, I am the way, which we need to see. But there are really three offices of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Best summed up with prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, he proclaims to our darkened understanding the truth of God, revealing the living God to us. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, John one eighteen. And literally the word declared there means to rehearse, unfold, exegete. What's it mean to exegete? Well, that's what I'm trying to do right right now. Exegete. I'm trying to explain. Okay? Explain, to interpret. And as the prophet, he exegetes, he expounds the living God to sinful humanity. And by both the words he spoke and the revelation of his divine life, he's explained God to us. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. That's a prophet. Jesus fulfills this office as a prophet. He also fulfills the office of priest He stands before God, the Father, on our behalf, to mediate the way to God. Now, all of the Old Testament, you had high priests that were prefigured in the shadowy fashion, the priestly work of Jesus Christ for us. The high priest was the sole representative of the people before the eternal God. He carefully entered in the Holy of Holies with blood to be applied on the mercy seat to propitiate or satisfy God's demands for the sins of the people. Christ himself has fulfilled this priestly role of mediation by acting as our great high priest and as atoning sacrifice acceptable to God for our transgression. So he is both high priest and sacrifice offered by the high priest. Find this Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your own mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled in body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight Hebrews 2:17Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. we're coming on Baptist. Heritage Sunday. So I thought I'd use a little uh, quote here from the 1833, a group of Baptists meeting in New Hampshire, put together a, a, the New Hampshire Baptist confession. And it's, it expresses this truth like this. It says, we believe that the salvation of sinners is holy of grace through the mediator, mediatorial offices of the son of God. Who, by the appointment of the Father, freely took upon him our nature, yet without sin, honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and by his death made it a full atonement for our sins, that having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven, and uniting in his wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with divine perfections, he is the very way qualified to be suitable, a compassionate, and all-sufficient Savior. Well, back in 1830, they knew how to say things, didn't they? I think that's very well expressed. He's our priest. Now, he's also our king. Jesus Christ redeems us by the sacrifice of his own blood, rescues us by his triumphal death and resurrection from all the all-enslaving power of sin, death, and Satan. We cannot rescue ourselves, nor can we redeem ourselves. We are In eternal bondage to our sin, death holds us in its iron-like grip. Satan rules over us as a part of his dark kingdom, but King Jesus delivers us by his work or mediation and brings us under the rule as part of his kingdom. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So as prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ declares, I am the way to the Father. And I trust you know him as your prophet, priest, and king. Now notice, thirdly here, under this solitary mediator, the effect of mediation. What does mediation of Christ do for us as sinners? Well, notice in verse 6 here in John chapter 14, I am the way, no one cometh, no man cometh to the Father but by me. The effect of mediation is, is to get us to the Father. Now what does that imply? Well, first, to get to the Father, the enmity between us and God must be removed. Christ has accomplished through His sacrifice of His own life on our behalf. The guilt and condemnation we are under due to the sentence of God's wrath upon us has been judicially satisfied through this justifying work of Christ. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through God, uh, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Our standing with God is now one of righteousness. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so the enmity between us and God must be removed, and that's what takes place there. Secondly, not only has our guilt been removed in Christ's righteousness, applied to our account, but because of this, we are now in eternal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He hath reconciled us to God as those who were once enemies. Now we are brought as new, brought as new creatures with new natures into a holy relationship with the living God. Second Corinthians five eighteen and 19, all, all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we could go on and on and on here name many, many more effects of Christ's office of mediation. But let me just mention one more. He has adopted us into his family. Now, that's a wonderful truth of God's word. He has adopted us into his family. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the, the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now how does all that take place? How does that work? I remind you that it's through the justifying work of Christ alone in his office of mediation that we are saved. You see, all the tears in the world cannot wipe away one sin. You can cry about it all you want, day and night. It won't do any good. Nor all the grace and holiness that are in the angels and men to buy the the, the pardon, at least one uh, of the least transgression. All remission is only by the blood of Christ. He, that is Christ, will be all in all in the business of justification or he will be nothing at all. And I trust each one of you this afternoon know him as the solitary mediator between you and the Father. But he's also the unique revelator. The unique revelator. Jesus went on and speaking to his disciples said, not only I am the way, but he says, I am the truth. Now, we generally think of truth as something that's propositional. A proposition is something to be considered, a statement of something that is affirmed or denied. And truth is propositional. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. That's a statement there. It's a very clear statement. And here the word of truth is also implies a person, here in John 14, verse 6, which in turn leads to a relationship. So notice, first of all, the truth in propositions. Now, if I stood before you this morning, and this is a very common thing for people to talk about, right? Everybody's talking about The moon is made of green cheese, right? And it's inhabited by... Giant mice who eat that green cheese. That's why you see all those kind of whole looking things up there. If I stood before you and declared just that, you would look at me as if I was a bit strange. You really believe that, preacher? Now why would you look at me strangely? Other than the fact that I'm a strange-looking person in the first place, but... It's because I would not be speaking the truth. I'd be telling you a lie or some strange fantasy. And if something is not true, then it cannot be verified and it cannot stand up to the test of scrutiny. In order for anything to be proven as true, it must be verified according to some principles or laws that are themselves proven or unchangeable. For instance, if we discussed some math problems, some of you are math uh, mathematicians, I'm sure some of you do that for uh, for a living. Some of you are learning it in school. It's your favorite class, right? Math. Well, what if I said four plus four equals nine? You'd tell me no, you're wrong but if what if I said no? 4 plus 4 does does equal 9, because that's what I want you to believe, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Now, if I tenaciously hold on to my argument that 4 plus 4 equals 9, and you say, absolutely not, it's because it cannot be established, uh, be, it cannot be because it's not established by principles and laws known to all in, in the universe. Now, some people might teach that today. I won't even go into Common Core but uh, or New Math. But you know, when you come to the truth of Scripture or propositional truth of Scripture, how do we know that it's true? Because Scripture is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. He Himself is faithful and true. He cannot lie. It's an impossibility for God to lie. So he therefore speaks only truth. And the reason scripture is true is because of the one who's given it to us. All scripture tells us is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed, as uh, writes Paul in Second Timothy 3.16. And you're missing out on Wednesday night. If you don't come to Wednesday night Bible study, we've been talking about this. Because of who God is. What he has spoken must be of necessity true. Now, when Jesus said and declared, I am the truth, we understand that only by the way of propositional truth. That is the written word of God. All we know about Christ comes from this book, by the revelation of God's word. If our knowledge of Christ is coming to us by our imaginations, watch out then we do not have objective foundation on which to rest our faith. There must be one standard, one solid foundation on which our faith stands, and the solitary standard is the Word of God, which is wholly true in every part and every way. In John 18, 37 and 38, we find our Lord being questioned by Pilate after the Jews delivered him up to Pilate, And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? Well, Jesus embodies truth as he verifies the prophecies of the Old Testament. He fulfills all of the law. And Jesus told the Pharisees and the religious leaders search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and they are they are they which testify of me. See Jesus Christ reveals truth as he speaks the words of life. Simon Peter said, Lord to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. John 6:68. 6, So there's truth in the proposition. Secondly, there's truth in person. The truth is also a person in this instance. And that's the reason why our Lord could say, or could be called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's why He could be called the Word, for He Himself is the truth in person. Now, if you look here in verses 7 through 11, and we won't reread them, But this is how Jesus is the verity of God revealing the Father. Jesus says a similar statement back in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared Him. He is the truth that reveals the Father. He is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. He is the word who is God, who shows us the Father, who displays the infinite character of, of God, who shows forth the utter holiness of God, who was in him, all, who has in him all the attributes of deity in bodily form. John in Revelation chapter 19 speaks of Christ as the truth. In Revelation 19 verse 11 it says and I saw heaven open and behold a white behold a white horse and he that sat upon it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name called the word of God. And the armies which were in the heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he might smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Truth in person. Thirdly, you have truth in relationship. Because Christ has spoken truth propositionally, we must answer to it. Because He Himself is true, we must one day reckon with His sure judgments. Truth is not something that we admire from a distance or we flee from, but it's something we should embrace as a relationship. And that's the whole thrust of this text. Jesus was speaking to his disciples of a relationship they were to enter into with him, who is the way and the truth. You know, sometimes it's easier to see something by means of contrasting it with something vastly different. And so the Lord does this earlier in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, again, familiar verses... He says, "'Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father we will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me?' He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. You see how the devil has no truth in him? Uh, He's the father of lies. He's always speaking of that which is of his nature as a liar. And the thing that Jesus tells the Pharisees is that they are of their father, the devil shows that they have no relationship to the truth. They were in a relationship with the father of lies. Now, by contrast, as believers, when we enter into a faith relationship with Christ, we are now of the truth and of God because in our inner man we hear the words of God and we believe them. Has Jesus become the truth to you? Has your life been consumed by the living truth and the living word of Jesus Christ? If so, then you have a true relationship with the truth. When you hear his voice speaking to you in saving power, then you become one of his, or one who is of the truth. There's one other thing we want to look at in closing, and that is a life giving animator. Now, when we think of animators or animation, what comes to your mind? Well, when thinking about this, I thought, I think of cartoons. I think of drawings that you do in a series. And if you move these drawings very fast, you know, it looks like the person is moving. And so to animate means to give life to. That's the meaning of the word. And our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. And I hope this is not a bad way of looking at this. An animator, a cartoonist, doesn't really give life to those. But Jesus does. He gives true life because he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. He is the life who gives life to those who believe in Him. He's the source of life. We must recognize that Jesus is the source of life. All things owe their existence to Him. It says in John 1, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, When we th- typically think about life, we think about the ability to breathe, to think, to move, and while all those things are true of life in Christ as the source of life, there's a whole lot more than that. He gives us minds to think and to know His glorious truth. He gives us emotions to feel and exhilarates us with a magnificence of His joy. He gives us bodies to move, to carry the good news of the Savior to the world. He gives us tongues to speak and to proclaim the excellency of, uh, excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. He gives us souls that live on, and in relationship to Him, these souls live on in the eternal glories of heaven. He gives us bodies that are in, that are corruptible, and one day through His resurrection power, these bodies are going to cast off their corruption. They're going to put on incorruption. Jesus Christ is the source of life. He's also the author of life. He says, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That statement needs a very little explanation for those who've heard the gospel over and over. I think we all understand that, don't we? Jesus Christ alone gives you eternal life. No one else can do that. He is the author of eternal life. John said, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 1 John 5.12 I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. John 10.10 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3.36 And so the way to the Father is the way of life. And the only way to have life is in and through Jesus Christ. And I trust you believe that this afternoon. Do you believe it? Remember what he said at the beginning of the chapter. Believe God, believe also in me. Jesus said, I am the way. Have you come to the way of Jesus Christ? He said, I am the truth. Have you embraced the truth of Christ in living relationship? And he said, I am the life. Do you have his life radiating through your whole being this afternoon? I trust you do. Let's pray. Father in heaven.